Hello, everyone. <clears throat> you know, Halloween is a very strange holiday. Personally, I don't understand it. Oh, kids worshiping ghosts, pretending to be devils. Oh, things on TV that are completely inappropriate for younger viewers. Things like the following half hour. Oh, nothing seems to bother my kids, but tonight's show, which I totally wash my hands of, is really scary. So if you have sensitive children, maybe you should tuck them into bed early tonight instead of writing us angry letters tomorrow. Thanks for your attention. everybody, welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast, coming to you live from the Comic Book Dungeon. And, and live from, from the Comic Book Garage adjacent to you said Comic Book Dungeon. Yeah, this is a, a special show today, uh, spelled special this in this in this sense, is a relative term con- uh, considering our subject matter. Instead of covering an issue of Kill Raven, this is our Halloween special. And uh, for this, instead of <laughs> uh, we had to have to have some like Halloween music, right? Um, I think this is symbolic of our hopes and dreams that we had for this issue. Um, <laughs> we thought it would be exciting uh, to switch gears here, and I know what I really liked Halloween-wise growing up were the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror Halloween specials. I have not read. Many Simpson comics until a few days ago. I'd only read one, so I thought it'd be exciting if we started out with the Bart Simpson's Treehouse of Horror, published by Bongo Comics, and it quickly became apparent that this was a terrible idea. Wait, published by who? Bongo Comics Group. Bongo Comics Group. Yeah, they they own the licenses to uh, the Simpsons and all the things that entails. Bartman, uh, Itching Scratchy, The Treehouse of Horror, Simpsons, Radioactive Man, and they also did the uh, Futurama comics as well. Okay, because it sounded like a, a freaking Chinese preschool sweatshop factory. Oh, yeah, it's not the, the most bold name, Bongo Comics Group. And uh, like I said, I've only, actually only read a couple Simpsons comics before this. One of the mainline uh, Simpsons comics and the first Radioactive Man comic. And uh, I tried not to let that shade my perception of this. That was probably a bad idea. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you might be a little right on that count. So you get to suffer along with us listeners as we slog through Bart Simpson's Treehouse of Horror issue one uh, from 1995 again published by Bongo Comics Group. Uh, We will start with the cover. Okay a positive thing that I want to say about this cover and the only positive thing I will probably say about this cover is I'm a big fan of painted covers and this definitely looks like a painted cover. Unfortunately I don't like what they painted. Right yeah I mean the, the cover is definitely striking. But it's it's underwhelming. I mean, it, it, it looks. I, I can't I can't fault that the cover looks like someone really like 
did a pretty decent job of painting this thing. But it's kind of like, meh. It's the the cover. We have Bart in the the foreground. He's wearing a red uh, robe, a hooded robe for some reason. It's just hoodie. Uh, I don't know if that that is a hoodie. I think that's a hoodie. I think it goes too far down, but it's hard to tell. Yeah, okay. Um, and he's either having a seizure or making a spooky face. I'm going with probably the spooky face with yeah. Maggie. Yeah, Maggie Simpson is holding a flashlight to his head. You know, as you do, say if you're camping and you're telling a scary story, you would hold up a flashlight to your face. That's what she's doing. And I have to say, I'm not a Maggie Simpson fan, but she's the only thing that I think is done well on this cover. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, even the whole flashlight thing, the lighting looks just kind of wrong. It's it's hard to put your finger on just because I wanted to like it. And it's just there's just it rubbed me the wrong way. Just the entire I've read this now twice. And every time I, I've I've stared at this cover, it just rubs me the wrong way. Um, mm. Maybe it's the brain cells you lost spending the time <laughs> in this one. It could be. Uh but in the background, we have uh, the 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 tr- Bart's treehouse, and it is being struck by lightning. Which that's not even true. Lightning is going through the the window, yeah. and then it's it's striking Homer, who I have no idea why he was up in the treehouse. But now, um, you get an X-ray shot of him, so you see his skeleton, and you've got a bunch of it's not even crackle. He's just glowing yellow from the lightning strike, and now he's falling out of the treehouse. Um, it's not raining out. That's very clear in this cover, so it's kind of weird that there would be that lightning. Uh, and then there's a full moon in the background. With some wispy clouds going on, too. Or a yeah. fart. Yes, maybe. Maybe, they, they, it's the, maybe it's the stench. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's supposed to be fog. But again, yeah, it, they look more like, like like in a cartoon if an apple pie is cooling. Like the steam coming off of an apple pie in a cartoon and then less like fog or clouds. Uh, so I have... Well, yeah, yeah, but given how little relevance anything on the cover has to do with anything that's inside of this book, I doubt it's anything that has to do with smell. I would agree. It's just... <laughs> it's somebody who I agree... I think it was definitely supposed to be fog or clouds, but they're just not realized very well. Uh, yeah. And to... And to, to sell that this is the Halloween issue or a supposed to be a scary issue, it tells us at the top it's a scarifying first issue! Exclamation point. Scarifyingly bad. Yes, and uh, you know it, it's been a while since I've seen a somewhat modern comic with the Comics Code Authority code on it. So whenever I look at it, that just kind of stands out to me. But that's just not here or there because there's definitely not anything here the Comics Code would object with because this is very vanilla. Yeah, well, let's uh, move on to the inside of the book so we can get done scarifying our eyeballs. I would prefer to spend 15 minutes on the cover and then end this abortion of a show, but I guess that's not in the cards. <laughs> but if we're forced to read this, guess what, readers you are al- or listeners, you're along for the ride unless you actually put on a good Halloween special. Yeah. Um, uh, this is... <laughs> I I really wanted to like this splash page because something I really like about the the, the Treehouse of Horrors, even if they're on there for a second, is Kang and Kodos. And I gotta say, I do like the the Kang. 
or Kodos. We don't know which one it is. And actually, that reminds me, going back to the cover, Bart, he has that saliva going in his mouth, but it's in the... It's, it's, I don't know why it's there. It looks like it's more in the back of his throat than in the front. I have no idea why that's supposed to be scary. And that doesn't look anything like how saliva would. I don't know. It's just, it is the weirdest thing that they, somebody decided we're going to have this weird viscous fluid going to the top and bottom of his mouth. And that's supposed to convey a scary instead of befuddling uh, idea. I have no idea. Maybe he had a really bad upper respiratory infection, and uh, he was trying to show it to Maggie, which is why she's holding up the flashlight, so she could examine the back of his throat, which is really phlegmy. I'm reaching, aren't I? Um, it makes, it's as good an explanation as any, it makes as much sense as anything in this issue. Um, so this first page, the splash page, we learn that this is Matt, Mr. Spooky, groaning, presents Bart, or groaning, presents Bart Simpson's Treehouse of Horror. Um, and many of those early Simpsons uh, Treehouse of Horror specials has the obligatory graveyard shot. So I thought this was a good idea to incorporate that. And then you're also incorporating the aliens, King and or Kodos, which they usually do. So they're getting it out of the way. But just again, the way this is realized, it's the cemetery shot is very lazy. Right. There's the only thing that I would say that is somewhat witty, because you have the three stories. Each one has a tombstone that has the the people who worked on it, but they're out of order. If you read from left to right, the second story's tombstone is first. Mm-hmm. The, the first story that you read is the middle tombstone, but it's behind those other two. So I don't know what sense that would make to order them like that on the tombstones. It's all misdirection, man. Um, again, as good an explanation as any we're going to get out of this, uh, <laughs> this aborted attempt at, uh, spooky comedy. And then, since it's The Simpsons, they try to do witty things on some of the other tombstones. This is a very empty cemetery. There's only a few in the background. We have the grave of the defiant hero, friendly Frank, and the one that I think is, uh, a good attempt at being funny it was a swing and a mess miss but it was a good attempt the direct market referring to the direct comic book market which i'm sure that was could have been considered witty by some in the mid 1990s and then if you squint (laughs) behind that there's a, a tombstone that says the king which the simpsons have done at least one elvis cemetery joke already so this is not not really pushing the envelope here there's also a bone and a skull with something living inside the skull between some of the graves because it's Halloween. Skull? Why not? Why not? Yeah, well, it's, it's Halloween. You got to have a skull in the graveyard and like mm-hmm. a, it looks like a freaking you know a leg bone of some sort. I mean, why yeah. not? It's a very sad femur. It is. It's a, it's a sad and lonely femur because there's nothing else near it. So um, I'm just going to get out of the way. The cre- each story had a different creative team. Um, I'm sure they're very proud of this issue. Um, the first story, Little Shop of Homers, uh, storing inks by Mike uh, Allred, breakdowns, Louis Escobar, pencils, Bill Morrison, lettering, Mike Sakamoto, colors, Laura Allred and Nathan Kane, Call Me Homer was the second story, storing breakdowns, Jeff Smith, pencils, Stephanie Gladden, 
inks, Bill Morrison, lettering, Mike Sakamoto, colors, Nathan Kane, Bart People, which is, I could not think of a worse name for that story. Uh, <laughs> story, James Robinson, Ugh. layouts, Chris Roman, finished art, Bill Morrison, lettering, Mike Sakamoto, colors, Nathan Kane. And I, I don't want to be that guy. I'm be sure the, guy. I, I haven't, I've read a lot of comics. I've probably read other stuff that these guys have done that have done better. I, we've all had to do things that we thought could have turned out a little bit better, or we put, had a lot of constraints put on us. So I I'm not going to say we're not proud of, but okay, keep going. So I'm not going to say that these guys did a bad job because I don't know what the situation was behind this comic. But again, this was the mid nineties, which let's be honest, even though so much of my early comic rating was the early nineties to mid nineties, I look back at a lot of stuff that I used to like back then. And, uh, I'm like, wow, this is a hunk of crap. I mean, just look at the 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 art that inspired by like Rob Liefeld. Like, hey, women should have hoof feet, and nothing makes a, a something better than an unrealistically sized gun, and then pouches on top of pouches. So I get this was the '90s, so this was a low mark for comics. I don't want to beat up this work to the point, or beat up the people who made this, because again, a lot of this is a a creation of the time that it came out of. Right. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize they gave us a phone number at the bottom. Maybe we should call after the podcast and just <laughs> voice some of our, our concerns. I'm sure they'll, they'll really appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, this is... I don't know what to say. I don't want to slam these guys too much. I'm sure this was just kind of like a, a, a freshman effort for some of these people. I, I, I mean, I, I'm sure someone, whoever's in, Matt, maybe Matt Grinning, or whoever the hell is in charge of the freaking Simpsons, you know, called up, uh, you know, looked in the phone books and called the freaking Bongo School of Comic Book Art and Design and said, hey, can you make me a Simpsons episode uh, issue for the Treehouse of Horror in a week? And these guys probably got their crayons out and went to work. I don't know. Well, let's be honest. This was a this was a, a Simpsons comic. Simpsons comics, I, I'm betting... 19 out of 20 people who read them were under the age of, say, 14. The Most people reading this were probably 10 or 12. So this is a very vanilla attempt at horror stories. But that's exactly what... Do you remember uh, Haunted House and Horror Stories when you were a kid? They were the most laissez-faire, just weak sauce efforts. Because that's all... Most kids, that's all they can take. They were not pushing the envelope that they would... Like in the Simps, uh, in the actual televised Treehouse of Horror, again, this was a much different audience. So I'm sure if you were a ten year old reading this at the time, this was probably pretty good. I'm just saying, uh, uh, adults twenty uh, twenty years later, jaded adults twenty years later, were not the target audience for this comic. So we just should <laughs> keep that in mind as we're knocking the crap out of it. Exactly. All right, so um. This first one, Little Shop of Homers. Uh, I mean, if you can't tell by the title, it's it's kind of a riff on the whole Little Shop of Horrors thing. See, I went into this thinking it was a riff of the Tom Hanks movie Philadelphia. I was kind of disappointed in the direction it took. (laughs) 
when's his lawsuit going through? That's what I kept screaming at my tablet. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> this is a really bad riff on Little Shop of Horrors, okay? Well, the difference uh, is because Little Shop is funny and creative. Ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and it has a great cast. And, uh, I mean, why don't we talk about Little Shop of Horrors? I mean, fuck, that was a great one. Uh, you know, uh, what was his name? Um, Steve Martin, uh, Rick Moranis. Or, or, you know, I mean, in the, the movie version, I, I forget the name of the chick that played Audrey, but she was fantastic. Uh, anyways... I'm, I am I I am on a tangent because I really just don't want to have to freaking take my medicine and deal with this unpalatable piece of shit that we've got yeah, this in front is of a, us. This is negative reinforcement. This is this is escape maintained behavior. <laughs> so we get another splash page with the title of this one, Little Shop of Homers, and we have a potted plant that's a Venus flytrap, but it's got Homer Simpson's head on it, and uh, it's and Gene it's, Simmons' tongue. <laughs> yeah, it's got quite the long lizard tongue, and it is squeezing and murdering every member of the family. They're, of course, rightly concerned and horrified by this, except for Homer, who says he thinks it's kind of cute because, again, it is his green doppelganger. I have to say, I did like that the the ball or the the two hairs on the Homer Simpson plant, they're vines and they have leaves on them. That is that is a fun little touch. That, okay, that is a fun little touch. I, if I was going to say a positive, I'd say out of this story, the the thing that I liked the most and maybe the only thing I liked was, and like is a strong ter- word, I liked the design of the plant. Okay. <sighs> okay, done with that one. Next page. Oh, well, I have to give them uh, that. That was pretty. That was pretty uh, bold at the time that they're showing it squeezing Maggie to death. Okay, yeah, I'll give them credit for that. I mean, not often you see a you see a baby getting squeezed to death in a comic book. This is true. So we we open up, and it tells us it's a typical evening at the Simpsons house. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> typical evening. Uh, Homer's in his underwear, clipping his toenails on the couch. Yeah, I did like that a lot. That is not a flattering picture of Homer. I just want to mention too that this is Bart. This is Bart wearing a blue shirt, like you would see on their early merchandise. Not Bart in his red or orangish shirt that you would see him in the TV show. But Bart is—he's got X-ray uh, comic or, vi- or glasses on, and he is reading a. Uh, I was going to say a comic book. It's hard for me to read what that's called. Is that Monkey Scrooge? But there's, there, it looks like a woman in a bikini on the cover. No, it's Monica's Secret. Okay, that would make much more sense. Are we sure yeah. it's not Missing Scrooge or whatever I said? That was clearly, clearly a, a good guess. It's either Mo, it's either Monica's Secret or or Mommy's Little Secret. So no, I go whichever I, way you want with that. It's Monica's Secret. You got it. Yeah, which you know, riff on Victoria's Secret. Yeah. Yeah, Bart's getting ready to freaking spank his little freaking Bart pud. Whatever. Moving on. In the foreground, you've got Lisa, of course, being the the brainy science one. And uh, she's got some, what appears to be a Venus flytrap that she's uh, feeding with some something in some test tubes on the, in the front here. Which, they're empty test tubes, so she would appear to be very bad at whatever she's doing. Or uh, maybe the budget didn't allow for them to, to you know, draw in some... Uh, 
some liquid in the test tube. Or they forgot to, and we see a little bit of that later on. But uh, we have Marge in the background, and she's feeding Maggie. And again, if I'm trying to give a positive, these characters are, I wouldn't say a 100% on model, like you would see them exactly as they are in the cartoon, but they're very close. Right, right. So, so good, good job. Yeah, moving on, you've got, uh, you know, Bart's... Bart's testing these x-ray specs out, and Homer's in his underwear on the couch, so for half a second there, Bart is, uh, Bart believes they're working, and uh, thanks uh, the inventor for having a limit to how far they go, since he can only see hun- uh, Homer's uh, skivvies. He, uh, that was a dangerous game he was playing if he believed those x-ray glasses were real <laughs> and looking at Homer. I could only imagine if his aunts came home. <laughs> yes, that's definitely not something you would want to test on any member of your family. No, not at all. So while this is going on, we establish that Lisa's plant is smelly. Whatever she's doing to it is making it smell worse than a Venus flytrap normally would. Yeah, and nobody in the household is pleased about it. Oh uh, no, they they want her to to remove it from the living room because it's grossing everybody out. Um, she I gets the- very angry Fat about guy this on the couch clipping toenails would definitely gross me out yeah i think that that was a they were trying to 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 reinforce that there's other gross things going on in that scene and that's why she feels kind of victimized or picked on but yeah she this is not a how lisa normally reacts to things she's no. this she's, story yeah lisa's a little bit of a monster and well, yeah she's she seems so indignant about it you know like puny mortals Judging my grand achievement. Yeah, she's she's very much. This is not a typical Lisa story. Like, if she, they ask her to remove it, which is not an unreasonable request. If you have something that smells like gar- rotting garbage and you have it in the main room of your house, but uh, she definitely she takes offense to this. She takes it as them not appreciating her or her pursuits, and it basically. I mean, in not so many words, she's insinuating that they're dumb, which. Let's not saying that she's off, but <laughs> Lisa normally would not immediately go to that on the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. She's usually a more generous soul. Um, this is actually an interesting uh, little Easter egg here in the issue, and I give them credit for this. When Homer clips his toenail here, we get a snick, which is uh, the sound that uh, Wolverine's claws make when they come out. And then when it flies in the the Venus flytrap's mouth, the onomatopoeia we get is thwip, which is the sound of Spider-Man's uh, 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 web shooters. Yeah. So, so that was a nice little touch. Um, or maybe they just weren't creative enough to figure something else out. Uh, it's definitely I. There's not a lot I'm going to praise, so I'm going to give them credit. That was a nice little in joke for people who are, are comic book fans, <laughs> but. Homer, and I gotta give Homer some credit here. He's pretty flexible for how much he can like move his leg up. I mean, he gets it like halfway to his head in the previous page, but he clips his toenail, like I said, with a mighty snick, and then with a thwip, it flies in the Venus flytrap's mouth. And again, there's a lot of uh, drool coming out of his mouth, like there was with uh, in Kang's mouth. There's a lot of drool going on. This is a drool-heavy issue. Yeah, they really do like the drool. They're down with the drool. Moving to the next page, we get a very I'm going to play God uh, Lisa with her science project. Yeah, she's trying to combine uh, her dad's DNA 
uh, with the plant's DNA. And, I mean, she looks quite crazy here. They do a good job of illustrate. I mean, they draw her as a mad scientist. They draw her looking very crazy doing this. And we even get a, a lightning strike outside to, to reinforce the Frankenstein okay. vibe. You know, out of everything in this book, the one thing I had the most objection to was this very page. Is it the Lisa and Bart interaction? No. No. It, it's the... It's, it's the tired, tropey, mad scientist. Okay, I mean, okay. This is this has been on my mind probably because the last couple of weeks ago I, I was listening to Star Talk with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast, and someone posed a question about why scientists are always, you know, seen as evil in science fiction. Why is the scientist the bad guy? And this is also in Kill Raven. And usually, scientists are posed as amoral characters they're only doing things for the sake of doing them in a relentless pursuit of knowledge not for a greater good but just for their own um for their own desire to to ingest and absorb that knowledge and use it to to get more knowledge and i i think we're seeing a little bit of this here like there's a little brainstorm lisa's like hey I'm going to combine some human DNA with my plant DNA and see what happens. And, and she, she has a little, like a little power trip and, and yeah, it's not, it, she's, she's doing something without questioning. Um, what was it? She's not questioning whether or not she's, she's doing it. She's just questioning whether or not oh, Jesus is coming out fucking wrong, but she's not questioning whether or not she should do something. She's questioning whether or not she can do something. There you go. I, I think that you have to have that trope for a lot of science fiction to work. If you didn't have an arrogant scientist who wasn't willing to uh, cut corners or push things further than uh, he analyzed was safe or just not asking those questions, should I do this, it would hard to get uh, to get to the point where, oh, a fly, uh, a fly flew into this transporter and I mixed my DNA with... Oh, should I reanim- reanimate this uh, this human? And what? <laughs> it, it's so. I mean, I think you have to because if you if you had a character who acted as intelligent as they were and was analytical as a real scientist would be, you would never have those wacky, just crazy uh, incidents and accidents that push a story forward. But yeah, she definitely is the. She is not the Lisa we know. She definitely no. is the mad scientist. When right. Bart comes in to ask her about the uh, about how stinky the plant is, she flies into a rage. We get a like when Homer freaks out, we get the sound. That's exactly what she does. And Homer and Bart there, he does a little. He starts like twitching and like immediately leaves the room. He's so freaked out and apologizes. Right. But yeah, you're right. She definitely is the scientist. We get a a nice. The ignorance of mankind is always the main obstacle in the advancement of science. But I'll show exactly. them. I'll show them all. Ha, 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 ha. And that's when the lightning strikes. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So just just to fall back one little bit on it. What bothers me the most is in the trope version of these mad scientists, they're, they're out to, to do something that they probably shouldn't be doing. They, they have no sort of real backstory to these people to kind of humanize them a little bit or give some sort of motivation other than the relentless pursuit of knowledge for why they're doing what the hell they're doing or maybe it's trying to reanimate their dead lover's corpse who cares 
Anyway. Um, but with so Lisa, you're... with Lisa, though, we know, I mean, even back, even at this point, you know, we've got a fairly good idea of the character of Lisa and how she would normally behave. And this is definitely not that, which kind of irked me a little bit. But anyway, go on. I mean, we, we see them play a little bit fast and loose with characterizations in the, the, the TV show Treehouse of Horror. But, I mean, this is a completely, I mean, she's aggressive. She's a little crazy. She's, Blease is very analytical. We don't get that here. But uh, I'm going to just derail us here for a second because, hey, this is more interesting than the actual comic. So what I hear you saying is a a sci-fi movie with a mad scientist motif. If we got a really good look at why the scientist was doing what they were doing, what their motivation was, what their backstory, that would be a pretty good piece of science fiction. Yes. Pretty well written. I would think so. So, ergo, you must think the movie Weird Science from, I think, 1985. Because <laughs> the whole front of the movie is them getting, like, pantsed and them being turned down. And I would agree with you. I, I have seen that movie probably 25 times. It's one of my favorite movies. Yes. We should have reviewed that. <laughs> Instead of this? Yes. <laughs> Maybe next year. See, that's why the plant dies, because when she did the experiment, she wasn't wearing a bra on her head. Exactly. There you go. No bra on head, plant dies. <laughs> uh, I'm sure anybody under 30 has no idea what the hell we were talking about, but that's okay. That's, that's what fine. the Google is for. That's right. Onward. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's the next morning. Uh, Lisa wakes up. And this is a, a close. This, this, this part seemed very genuine, Lisa, to me. Um, her mom wants her to throw out the plant because it really smells like someone died in there. She says she can't because it's a science project. Marge explains that the plant, it looks like it died. Uh, she's very concerned and she actually looks genuinely sad. She's, she's like, she's, she gets sniffly. She tears up that the, uh, she calls it dear sweet plant. She'd hope to give it a better life. This definitely seems more like the empathetic uh lisa we know and love right yeah so she she's kind of performing back at norm here and uh yeah she's a little heartbroken over it but of course her her brother maybe she's maybe she's just bipolar and she was in a massive manic manic state last night and now she's back to being depressed right yeah that could be it And, and and bart who's of course always up to no good and definitely a a a master of uh utilizing resources to their most decides that he has an alternative use for this plant and it'll make a fantastic stink bomb uh which is true i absolutely think it would because it smells like apparently a rotting corpse uh i like this breakfast scene on the next page we see maggie feeding the cat and the dog i think it's a nice shot of them lined up they, I have yeah. to definitely give the issue credit. They didn't skip on a lot of the background work. Like in her bedroom, we see a, the Bleeding Gums Murphy picture. Uh, we definitely, the backgrounds and stuff were rendered very nicely. We see the yeah. clock. It's a very busy scene in the kitchen. <laughs> we get a nice monologue by Lisa where she explains that uh, her efforts are doomed to failure and she's going to be stuck here at her humble... She'll never rise beyond her humble origins, which is kind of a shitty thing to say to your parents. I have daughters. They do say shit like that in real life. <laughs> that is uh, that is very demoralizing. 
as somebody who's not a father but probably will be in the next uh year or so i love homer too he encourages it uh that she shouldn't try to rise above where she is now she should just aim low and stay low and that's a very true to homer uh homer form yeah yeah definitely you can see where bart gets his underachieving ways from so bart's got the dead plant on his bike he has a basket on his bike which we've never really seen before but it's treehouse of horror they can play with that continuity yeah um so he wants to make a stench missile, miss, stench, stench missile. So he goes to the Quickie Mart. Uh, I like on the dumpster behind the Quickie Mart. We get a nice Alberto yeah. uh, graffiti yeah, tag. Yeah, a lot, um, of, a lot of attention in the background of that one too. I feel it's a little out of character for Bart that out of all the uh, out of all of everyone in Springfield, he would have chosen Jimbo, Curly, Nelson to be his uh, uh, his targets. Yeah, the, yeah, the bullies. Yeah, usually it's something else, something a little more grand. Well, it would have maybe been Principal Skinner, or there, there's, there's, there's people he constantly pranks. He usually tries to impress the bullies. He wants to improve what he thinks is his station, his, uh, his status at the school, and uh, he's usually tries to impress those kids. That has been. Uh, his arc he's not above doing shit to them occasionally when the opportunity comes up but it seems very unrealistic for him to to choose them as uh, his target right so so he's 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 you know stealthily making his approach with uh malhouse whom he picked up yeah i think i said curly it's kearney sorry about that yeah and uh, he, he's getting ready to line up his shot and everything and he uh mel Melhouse is, of course, uh, a little worried about this course of action. Well, it's a stupid plan. Oh, wait. <laughs> he takes Milhouse's milk, which I like the milk is called Utter Delight. Yes. <laughs> that was a nice touch. And he's pouring the milk on the plant because he thinks <coughs> that this will add maximum splatter. Yeah. And as um, he's doing this and getting poised to throw, here come the cops. Yeah, which is... More proactive than we usually see the cops in Springfield. They want to know what he's doing. Uh, he gives them a story that he brought the plant that he thinks is dying to the Quickie Mart because the Quickie Mart is now the Quickie Mart and Plant Emporium, so he wants a poo to diagnose the plant. They don't believe him, and they're going to take the plant to a poo because they don't even believe it's a plant because it stinks like a rotting carcass. So, yeah, they bring him in. Uh Chief Wiggins is apparently hanging out there eating a donut. I, I like that Nelson is reading a swimming women uh, magazine instead of a, say, swimsuit issue, a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Uh, yes, Chief Wiggum is at the counter. He's eating Lord Lad donuts, and there's a ton of plants uh, in the Quickie Mart because, again, this is a poo has added that to the Quickie Mart services. Right, and as everyone's going over the the plant and commenting on the stench, uh, the the plant kind of uh, perks up a little bit and lunges at Chief uh, Wiggum and takes his whole hand in its mouth, eating the donut. Yeah, plus I'm sure that wasn't a bad deal for the plant. I'm pretty sure Wiggum's hand probably salty like bacon, probably tastes a lot like bacon. I would think so. Um, but yeah, it attacks Chief Wiggum. It eats the donut with a loud plop sound. The 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 cops leave. Channel Six just happens to be driving by. They think this is going to be a great story. 
Uh, Chief Wiggum mentions that he he ought to sue somebody for the plant trying or attacking his hand, and that's where Lionel Hutz with his hair. It's hard to tell if it just wasn't colored in because it looks like it doesn't look white. It looks like a powder blue. But yeah, I guess it's just somebody didn't color his hair in or they thought a nice powder blue would go better with his suit. So he comes in because he heard somebody say the word Sue. Yeah, I think someone thought the powder blue would go well. It, it does look, uh, I don't know. Maybe they did just miss it because it does match the white background pretty pretty closely. Pretty Yeah, pretty well. But uh, uh, one thing I notice here is, uh, you know, beforehand when when the plant was eating the donut off of Wiggum's hand, it looked like a rather large Venus flytrap. By the time you get to the bottom of the page, the plant has definitely taken on a very Homer-esque appearance. Yeah, definitely. It's got the unshaven beard look, and it's yeah, it's definitely it's it's Homer's. It's shaped like his head, and he is going nuts eating the lard laugh donuts with a loud snarf. Right. So as we move on, there's a... Yeah. You know, that has makes... to be a reference to snarf from Thundercats, I'm uh, hoping. I, I hope so. So uh, it, it makes the news. Bart's on the news. Uh, you know, at the uh, Simpson homestead, uh, Homer... Marge, Maggie, and Lisa are watching this, and Lisa is absolutely fuming. Yeah, she has yeah stench lines coming off of her head to devote or to to, to 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 show that she's she's angry. Yeah, she's definitely fuming. I like that the Channel Six admits that they were uh, heading to the plant for a run of the mill <laughs> meltdown story, but they thought the plant donut eating plant was much more interesting. Right, and uh, Bart gets home. Very happy to announce that, uh, you know, he's uh, he's been on the news and he got a new job selling donuts to for people to feed the plant that uh, Lisa and he was crediting Lisa here. But before he got done, uh, Lisa, in a fit of rage, proceeds to throttle his scrawny little neck. Yeah, she's trying to choke him out. It's very reminiscent of Homer when Homer chokes Bart. Um and then we get a, a great scene where Marge literally has to physically lift uh, Lisa off and restrain her to stop her from, from killing Bart. And we get a very meek Bart pushing the money at Lisa, saying that he's willing to give her a cut. Right, yeah. So they, they kind of make up. Lisa uh, kind of mulls over you know, how a, a simple accident pretty much helped resuscitate her plant, and she decides to... Forgive and forget, so long as there's a generous cash infusion. Uh, it implies <laughs> that she's t- going to take all the money out of his pocket while he's hugging her. Right, yeah, they they, they, they make up and they, they, they give a guy a little hug, and in this hug you can see Lisa's pretty much looking over Bart's shoulder, reaching in his back pocket for the wad of cash there. I love the tear in Marge's eye that they're able to uh, make up like this. And Hart and Hart, Homer... Uh, shishes her or shushes her because his favorite commercial is on, and it's it's a Duff beer commercial. When things seem queer, lay right back and drink a Duff beer, which is yeah, a that's how I live my life. <laughs> um, so now everybody in Springfield is at the Quickie Mart and Plant Emporium. They're feeding donuts to the plant, and they are buying uh plants on their way out. Um, we see Mr. Burns stop by because Smithers is there. Uh, 
Homer had stolen one of his ferns to replace the one that, or uh, Lisa's plant that had died, so he's there to buy a replacement. This is fun here. Mr. Burns wants to see what the, the commotion is. So to get everybody to leave the Quickie Mart, he says, Blue Light Special at the S-Mart, be smart, shop S-Mart, which is a, which I guess everybody leaves to go to a the S-Mart that's across the street or down the street or whatnot. But that is very much a reference to the movie Army of Darkness, where, yep. yeah. Shop smart, shop S-Mart, you got, yeah, you got it. Should have reviewed that instead, too. we almost did i i have uh several issues of the evil dead 2 uh series and the entire last dynamite series of army of darkness i thought that those would just take too long but man those would have been awesome i have a whole pocket full of things that we should have reviewed but this is what we're all stuck with and you know what listeners we're just gonna have to make the best of this (laughs) yeah so yeah, we get to the inside of the shop, and uh, the 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 Homer plant has grown to rather monstrous proportions, and it's yes. it's it's even at the point now where it, it's its vines are so large that it's it's sprouting little Homer heads all along its vines. Oh, uh, this is true. Uh, a, they a or a poo. He tells them that he's out of donuts, which uh, because everybody's been feeding them to the plant. Homer freaks out and attacks Abu or Apu. Mr. Burns tries to buy the plant because that's in their two-dimensional depiction. That's all Mr. Burns does. That's all the only thing he'd be good for in the story, except for uh, he's him and Smithers are also good as a nice sacrifice to the plant. The plant is now oozing purple goo out of its mouth because of reasons, and he eats both <laughs> Mr. Burns and, uh, and Smithers. Know, I. I... I, I actually do have a valid reason for why the plant is oozing pink goo. The the jelly donuts that it's been eating? The pink frosting on all the freaking donuts, dude. It's got to be. <laughs> I'm going to have to respectfully disagree <laughs> on the Roy G. Biv. I swear this is purple. <laughs> We're going to have to put these side by side or I Mark needs so. glasses. I, I think <laughs> we are because the background's purple and I think the goo coming off of its teeth is, is pink. Which you make an interesting point because earlier they're 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 too lazy to draw backgrounds here except for in the first panel we get a light purple or uh, pink panel we get an orange panel we get a blue panel we get a purple panel with a blue floor panel and then we get the dark blue panel and then the next scene it's that light purple or some may say pink colored panel in the background but then we get real backgrounds again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we 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 need to get some color diagnosis on our eyes here, or they need to draw actual backgrounds. Whatever, whatever's easier. One of the two. Either ish way, the Homer plant has Smithers pretty much freaking waist deep, and he's chewing him up. Uh, the, the Simpsons kids are throwing food at it, and you know, lo and behold, the donut shipment arrives. And uh, Apu's pretty much mentioned earlier that he he had reserved that entire donut shipment to appease the mighty Homer plant because uh, apparently it had a tremendous appetite and he couldn't sell any donuts to the humans, which uh, raised some concerns with our uh, buddy Homer over here. Yep. And totally, like, uh, like uh, Sigourney Weaver from the movie Alien, uh, he knows a flamethrower is his best bet here, so he grabs hairspray, which... I love that it's called Stiff Stuff. That's, that's great. That is great. 
Um, he's got a Zippo, and now the plant grabs him, and he's lighting its head on fire while uh, the police, also fighting for the donuts, are uh, shooting it. Uh, right. We see that uh, the Quickie Mart is burned down. Lisa looks like she's going to offer Apu her money. Bart is hiding his money behind his back because uh, he's not willing to give. I'm sure the $14 he made is clearly going to rebuild the, the Quickie Mart. Damn right. Um, hey, inflation's a bitch, okay? That was worth some real money back in the 90s. <laughs> the issue ends with uh, the police congratulating Homer for helping them, or at least thanking him for helping them fight the monster. They're all uh, eating donuts, and they all have what one might call purple, but somebody else might call it Okay, now, on see, on this panel, they do look way more on the purple end of the spectrum. <laughs> this but comic looks... is tearing us apart. It, it, is, it does look like it has purple icing on these donuts, but hey, at this point, who cares? <laughs> yeah, we get the end, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you see in the lower left-hand corner, you see the little Homer plant's head, and it's reaching for a donut with a vine. All right. who, cares? who cares? I don't. I don't. What I do care about is they were very accurate in how much damage you could do with a freaking lighter and some hairspray, okay? Absolutely I cannot, right. I cannot tell you how many fires uh, a young Mark uh, had had uh, had set with, say, a uh, lighter and a, uh, uh, a can of hairspray. Or Aquanet. when we... <laughs> Aqu- Aquanet was the best for that stuff, man. We certainly didn't fill a super soaker with lighter fluid and then a bigger one with gasoline and then put a lighter on the end of those. We definitely didn't do that as children. No, nope, we definitely didn't do that at all. And, and we definitely uh, didn't come very close to burning my friend's house down and on at least one occasion. Definitely didn't light our sister's hair on fire either. <laughs> Did she try to merge human DNA with a plant? Because maybe that was the right thing to do. Ah, uh, no. But she did use a lot of hair products, so it was bad. Uh, moving on. <laughs> we have Call Me Homer, uh, uh, which it's a play off of Moby Dick, which is very obvious because the whale in the story is called Moby Dick. There is no subtlety to be had here, friends. Okay, out of all the stories, this one was by far the most atrociously a waste of freaking time. I, that's what I thought until I got to Bart people, and I just, it's no, like every no, no. story was the worst. No, 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 okay, Bart people I actually thought was better because I remembered an actual horror story from that, from the 80s, or maybe it was the early 90s, called Cat People. So I got the source of that one. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um. There's actually there's there's several movies that have variations of that theme, and there's I know at least the original, and I'm not sure how much the later. I think there's one or two based off of it. They're based off of a uh, a turn of the century novel by Algernon Blackwood, uh, where this French guy or this English guy goes to a French town where literally everybody there is a like a cat person and it's like they're just pretending to do these human things but at night they do their wild cat debauchery so this is very much a trope in 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 literature and before somebody accuses me of doing research i was actually listening to the hp uh podcraft the literary podcast a few days ago where they just happened to cover the story last month 
So okay. it just is a coincidence that that feeds in. And I'm sure I'm sure they would be gratified to know that their research saved us uh, from having to research that yeah. god-awful story. Well, you know, I still remember, because um, there were some movies definitely made about it, and I remember there was one that was kind of visually striking solely because their, their art direction was... I don't know. It was been it's been two decades, but I remember the very ending scene, which was very similar to what we saw in this one, which was wait, what? okay, fine. Let's let's just skip the freaking stupid Moby Dick one. <laughs> we, we we can cover this in a few minutes. Let's let's go, let's go back to that. Let's move on to the cat people one real quick. I mean, this is a particular reason. Well, I, we've already cat. spent so much time on it, man. Might as well just finish it off. Okay. I mean, okay. The, it's the ver- the ending panels are both extremely similar to the movie I remember, with all the cats kind of lounging in this kind of like nesty tree looking thing, and uh, the movie I remember was I I remember very fondly because it introduced me to one lovely lady named Fariza Balk, and she definitely has some very feline qualities if you know what I mean. Anyways. Um, yeah, they, it, it reminded very, very much of that particular version of this trope, and I think that's where they were getting their source material from, which is why I really didn't have that much of a problem with the, the Bart people riff on it. Okay, let's let's just go through the, 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 the beginning of the story here real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I yeah. see what you did there. You covered the end, and you're like, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on to you. Um. This is the dumbest name of a story for the story. The whole thing is that they're not like if they were like where Bart's, I could understand if you were going to fucking call it Bart people. But it's it's implying that Bart and Lisa and several other people in the town uh, have feline characteristics and under certain circumstances turn into to cats or cat like creatures. So I love that the fucking name of the story does not address that in any way, shape or form. Right, they just call it Bart people, because why the fuck not? But, yeah, and, and anyway, basically, it, it becomes known that there's a, a certain set of stimuli or stressors will cause people to morph into these rather large, I mean, they say it's panther-sized felines. And in Bart's case, it's doing something that he's never had to really do before, studying. Um, okay, I, I definitely don't mind if we fly through this one really quick. I just wanted to touch <laughs> on it. some stuff. It opens up. They're at an airport. Uh, Homer screams. He's like, ah, cat girl. Lisa's been away at Capital City. She shows up. She's wearing a scratchy mask. She brought an itchy mask for Bart and some candy. I thought this was super weird. I, I'm definitely one of those Simpsons snobs. Like, I haven't seen any episodes really since, like, season 10. But it's in those early appearances, I feel they always drove to Capital City. It seems weird. It's established that it's like the big city, like in the state, it's like the state capital. It seems weird that they would hop a flight to, that Lisa would hop a flight to go to Capital City. Um, so they pick her up at the airport. Bart implies that they're alike in some way, trying to be creepy. It's not, it's pretty stupid. Hunt, they see Hans Molman at the airport. He has cat's eyes, and he says, Brown, in a creepy way. We see the town feels unfamiliar to Lisa. Uh, it's deserted as the sun's going down. Uh, this is actually, I thought, was kind of clever. 
they go to the school. Uh, <laughs> um, there's cutbacks where the what is it? The second, third, and fourth grade classes um, <laughs> have been combined due to budget belt tightening caused by expensive, high-profile trials. I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. And so, funny. and so they said, "There's like you'll be receiving only one third of the education you weren't paying attention to anyway, and you'll be on the streets before you turn 16." So, those are some of those big points in the the beginning. Did I miss anything you wanted to cover? No, not at all. Okay. Bart wants to team up with Lisa because they're doing a project where they have to be boy-girl. Why? Because it fits the narrative described by the sloppily written story. Exactly. Bart get, or Milhouse gets uh, um, Lisa teamed up with Lisa. I believe Bart, I think that's Janie uh, that he is uh, uh, um, hooked up with. He starts to, they start to study. He becomes a Bart-esque panther in flies out of the house yep he he goes to the quickie jr i'm wondering if they did that because the quickie mart burned down in the first story they're trying to say that there's continuity continuity here maybe maybe i doubt it but okay they put the panther on a truck there was a bunny in one cage a panther in the other and apparently there's going to be a petting zoo at the school so, of course, groundkeeper Willie picks the wrong cage, and now he has to wrestle Panther Bart. Bart is a panther. And so, of course, groundkeeper Willie, as we've seen in the show, he's totally ripped, rips his shirt off, uh, wrestles with Bart. Bart, after tasting his, his blood, for some reason, reverts back. Here's a fun sequence of uh, naked Bart. Uh, having to run home. I like he goes by the retirement castle, which Springfield retirement castle, do not feed the elderly. I feel I'm doing a lot of the talking. I'm not trying to say block you out because I know you have a lot to say on on this issue. Oh, so much to say. Yes, yes. But you're you're doing really well. Keep going. I wish I would have recorded it. Cruz was refuting all these negative points before we started recruit, uh, recording, and he thought we should do a separate podcast just covering these Simpsons comics. Uh-huh. Each one. Each one developed. It was definitely worthy of a full-length freaking episode just dedicated to, to the, the back and forth of each one of these. But, so, yeah, yeah. Bart, Bart makes it home. Yep, and, and uh, he, he – oh, go ahead. And, yeah, I don't know because I'm, I'm summarizing the fucking crap out of this because there's so much extraneous shit that really doesn't have touched too much it, on the story this was a very text heavy story compared to the first two and yes. none of it is meaningful absolutely not <laughs> it, it's like I, I don't know maybe they maybe they got issued like you had to have so many freaking words in this one you know it, 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 whatever man it, it, there's I, so much so much talking I have to give them credit their spelling and grammar were very good it is on point it's yes. definitely on point. So, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so basically <laughs> it's like, yeah, they, they their schoolwork is suffering because they haven't been studying with their partners because they're both scared of, uh, of of mutating, transforming into freaking felines. And Oh, yeah, uh, Bart explains to Lisa that what's going on, that if they study, they'll become were-panthers. Uh, she studied her whole life. Why is this not go- or just going to affect her now? Reasons. Bart apparently found this out in the two days or however long she was at Capital City. And apparently there's other Panther people in Springfield. Do we ever see them? No. Is it relevant? No. Why'd they bring it up? I don't know. I don't know. 
So basically, they're given an ultimatum. They've got to meet their study partners. And uh, Bart has been issued a new one because his, after watching him transform into a giant panther, has not been seen at school for the last three days. She was convinced that the panther had eaten Bart, and so she was traumatized thinking that Bart was devoured in her uh, bedroom. Oh, okay. Yeah, reasons. Cool. (laughs) Yes. So, but I, I do like what they do with this next, this next page. It, it is definitely worth bearing at least a modicum of attention to. Uh, on the left side of the page, they have Lisa and Melhouse's interaction, in, interaction, and on the right hand of the page, they have Bart and his new partner, partner. Um, what, what is it? Uter. Uter. Yeah. Uter. Bart and his new partner Uter, and as they progress downward, each one's kind of having the same experience, you know. Yeah, uh, they're both kind of worried about what they're what's going to happen with their study partners as they go on. Suddenly, they start getting these weird stomach cramps, which is a signal that they're going to change. When go you on. say they're having the the same experience, you mean they're both in a room that has no background? No, there's some background. It, it, it switches halfway through the story where yes. we just get purple. Well, yeah, it, when you get the close up to each character, yeah, it, it does it does switch like that. Yeah, you know, they they start getting the stomach cramps. And on the third panel down, they both get the cat's eyes. But in the mean, this is the point where you know Lisa's telling herself, "I I can't let this happen to me. I need to have self control, self control." And she has to think of something to calm her down. Bart's thinking self control, self control. And as you get to the bottom panel, you know Lisa's got this look of relief on her feet, her face that oh, this was just a cramp. I'm perfectly fine. Bart just goes, "Oh well, self control. What the hell." And he transforms. Yeah, I, I do like, and I'm not sure if this is intentional, since we, we got, like you said, the the panels before that are mirroring them. When Bart becomes a were-panther, his color panel no longer matches Lisa's. Right, yeah. It's it's it's, it's Instead of blue, is a, a calm, soothing blue, it's kind of an angry orange. Oh, I don't think that's, this was intentional. Let me read some more intention into this and give them a little bit of credit here, man. Come on. I I do like the the shot of Uter running away from Panther Bart. He's looking behind him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he looks he looks absolutely terrified. His, his pudgy ass is running scared. Yeah. He uh he's actually dead in the show. He got left behind on a field trip where they got caught trying or stealing gas and trying to uh learn for free. <laughs> his you actually see his parents later. There's like, "Please just tell us what happened. We just want closure." <laughs> God. So, yeah, Bart goes on a freaking uh kitty catnip inspired rampage through the town and gets captured uh, oh she gets the, captured by lisa yeah her sax playing calms him down because clearly every time she plays the sax in the show that's always had a calming effect on the family they never yell at her for playing her sax but uh right so combine the combination of uh, lisa's sax and uh groundskeeper willie's freaking ripped freaking pecs and a handy net is basically what captured Cat Bart. I think he hypnotized Bart with his pecs. Mm, possibly. Like Macho Man from the original uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? That's what he did. Exactly. So, yeah, the uh, next page leads us to a, a zoo where uh, Bart is in the feline enclosure. And yes. uh, he's with a bunch of other panthers. 
and the the Simpson family is the remainder of the Simpson family is looking over at him and kind of you know wishing you know eh, eh, this this is not too bad because all he ever did before was snarl and eat and you know sleep so at least now we don't have to pay for him to do that at our house yeah they they they're really unconcerned that he's a panther they don't see that like, yeah he's gonna he did, he's doing the same thing he did before so they they appreciate that it's over but we get the or is it and lisa or er, maggie has cat's eyes at the end boom boom it's uh dun 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 you know what the twist so unfortunately Cruz, we got to go back no no we'll, we'll do we'll do uh moby Gee. dick pretty quick it was a great story. It sounds so fucking wrong. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, look. Basically, uh, the Moby Dick one. Uh, I, I guess they're. What's the grandpa's name? I forgot. Abe Simpson, but they just call him Grandpa. Yeah, is there a Grandpa Abe's freaking house? I guess. Yeah, and they're going through a bunch of stuff in the attic, or maybe Grandpa Abe's at their house, and they're going through a bunch of stuff. Yeah. They're yeah. in an attic. Somewhere. They're they're it's the Simpson family attic. Yeah, and they're going through a bunch of uh, of old Bouvier books on from Marge's side, and of course, the only one going through a book is Lisa. I mean, yeah. let's, let's be real here. Yeah. Abe is showing old toys to Bart. Bart doesn't care. Uh, Homer puts on a jacket that he wore to his wedding. Uh, of course, he's too fat for it. Uh, Lisa, they're going through Mom's scrapbook, and she's showing all these heroic people on the Bouvier side. So she, it, it to to counter that, because she 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 says there's never been a heroic Simpson. Abe says that's not true. They're descended from a great naval adventurer, and so he sets the scene. We open up with a nod to Moby Dick with the mm-hmm. call me Ishmael. But yes. instead, he's not the main character. The guy whose ass is hanging out of his pants looks at us, and it's Homer. And so it, we, we, we get it was a false start. The story it's really starts out with call me Homer. Um, I like the hat. I like the Donald Duck sailor hat that's way too small for Homer's head. Right. Uh, it's probably the nicest thing that we'll say in the story, except for that it's short. Yeah, yeah. I do have one nice thing to say in the story, and I'll say it, you know, as we work down this page here. Basically, uh, uh, you know, Homer's not some grand fisherman. Homer's not no. uh, anything really cool on a seafaring ship. All Homer does is render whale blubber into oil. That's all he does. He works in front of a freaking grill. He is a glorified fat fry cook. Yep, they they call it a tri, the tri works. He puts the the whale fat in. He accidentally tastes it one day. So what is Homer's ancestor Homer going to do? You see him just eating these huge, giant chunks of whale fat. Which um, I can I can totally get down with because dude, I just had some microwave pork rinds today and they were awesome. <laughs> At least that's a food. <laughs> <laughs> So he's in the hold, and he's just stuffing himself with the whale fat. Right. Even, we have the sea captain, but he's not the captain of this vessel. Peg leg, um, Mr. Burns is supposed to be Ahab. He's cat. Well, he's Captain Burns, but he's the captain of this vessel. He has them tie Homer to the mast, and before they can do whatever they're going to do to Homer, we get Moby Dick, who is called Moby Dick. He attacks the ship. 
Right. He, he um, attacks the ship, and of course, I mean, this must have came out right around Jurassic Park or something, because they're like, if everyone's really quiet and you don't move, the giant white whale will leave us be, Mates. I think it was a few years later, 95. No. Yeah, I think a couple of years after Jurassic Park. But yes, that was that's a good point. That was definitely very inspired by Jurassic Park. So Moby Dick is leaving them alone. I don't understand why the humans not doing anything on the ship is causing the whale not to to lose interest. It's like, oh, if we don't move, he can't see us. Yeah, like exactly like you said, it's like a T Rex. Yeah, like like he can really see them. But anyways, Moby Dick, you know, cruising around this ship has got our our blubber loving Homer just oh. incensed and rabid. Yeah, he's he's he, he's like a heroin addict going through withdrawals. He uh, frees himself. He he's he he's able to break his bonds, but yet he's still tied to the ship. He jumps overboard and he chomps down on the whale's uh, tail fin, and now he it's implied that he'll be towing the ship. Uh, I do like that the name of the ship. It is a callback to the ship from uh, Moby Dick. Uh, I think it's pronounced the Pequod. Yeah. So that's the end of the story. And I liked it because that was like two pages. Great, succinct story, Grandpa. We appreciate it. But they want to know what the hell the point of this was. Well, apparently he had dragged them uh, all the way to the Bermuda Triangle, and they disappeared forever, and they were the first people to be lost in the uh, Bermuda Triangle. A Simpson was the first person to get lost in the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) This is very... It's a great this is just very thing. thrown together. Yeah. Uh, of course, Lisa says, "How did if how do we know this is true? If everyone disappeared, Lee, er, Marge comes up, tells them dinner's ready. We're having fried fish. So Grandpa and Homer are very excited. They run downstairs. I really don't. This is where the story was already off the rails, but uh. I don't know how it further went off the rails for me. So <sighs> Bart asks if off. Lisa's jealous. Why would she be jealous? And it's, this isn't a competition, Bart. And it's, she's trying to turn it into her ancestor versus Bart's ancestor. But they're brother and sister, so they have the same ancestors. Exactly. So that seems like very, I, very sloppy writing. It wasn't like she's a Bouvier and he's a Simpson. There was no reason for there to be a competition there. They, yeah. So that was really weird. Yeah, and, it was pretty, pretty, pretty off, pretty weird way to kind of get some sort of to stretch the material just a little bit more. And then, why would Homer's ancestor Homer have a harpoon if he was just the 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 fat fryer? But that's what happened. <laughs> they find a harpoon because Homer Bart agrees it was a lame story, and he agrees it was probably made up. But then he finds a harpoon in the chest. So he's like, wow, it really is true. Which, again, I don't understand why he would have the cook who was never harpooning a whale would have would have a harpoon. But anyway, hey, hey, we see even him. Even a medic in the army gets issued a gun, right? 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't see them up on the deck qualifying. <laughs> and that's not necessarily true. I'm citing Lifeline from G.I. Joe. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he finds that, that harpoon, and it gives him some sort of sense of validation. And uh, and then, you know, the next page over, he wakes up, and, it, oh, it was a dream. And he, he looks over aside his bed, which, I mean, this is, this is a kid with a twin bed, uh, and laying next to him is a giant, dead, white whale. 
You, you see blood in his bed, and you, I like you see the, the whale's tongue hanging out. So I like the, the, visual, the visual there. But, again, this is very lazy writing. Yeah, There's is no... This, is, is this like a tie for like a, a little tie into Godfather? You know, instead the, of a horse head in the bed, it, you get the, the whale it, head. Yeah, it was definitely a tie into Godfather that, yeah, like you said, they were. it was a play with the horse head in the bed. And the Simpsons had done that with uh, Lisa's horse where she woke up and she sees the horse head, but the horse is still alive. But yeah, there was, there was no reason for this dream sequence. Like you said, they were, it very much felt like maybe they wanted to do two stories, but then they realized that was way too short. And so they came up with this half baked middle story to, uh, to pad out the issue. But, uh, Bart, Bart wakes up and he realizes that is the dream. But then he looks at, next to him, and for some re- and for whatever reason, he thought it was a great idea to pointy end first, sharp end first, to put that in his bed next to him. Why so not? he realizes, yeah, the, his the original story wasn't a dream. And how does he celebrate that? He decides to chase Homer through the house, threatening to murder him with a harpoon. And that's, it, but that's what every good kid does. It's a nice callback to the first story because what is Homer doing? He's on the couch in his underwear. Yep, yep. He does spend some time on the couch in his underwear, and that wraps up this. Oh. I, oh, I have else? one more note. What's your final note? <laughs> Tell me, please. The best part of the issue for me was the very last page. There's a paper doll Bart, and he's oh, his father's yes. son. He's in his underwear, and they have three costumes for you that uh, that you can dress him in. I like the first costume is the indie comic Mad Men or Madman. The second costume, I believe, is supposed to be the Chupacabra. Right. And the third one, I think, is just a, a g- generic either or a Buck Rogers character. Yeah, yeah, some some space character with a fancy fifty style laser pistol. And it looks like a Viewmaster, uh, the wrong way, glued to his face. Yes. But I did like that they uh, they called that to another comic. The, they had him, uh, the paper draw, doll madman costume, and I did like, the thing I liked most about this issue is the chupacabra design, but that's it. It's done, and we'll never speak of it again. Speak of what? Uh, I would I, <laughs> I would give this issue maybe a 2 out of 10. I, uh, yeah, I, I uh, man, I don't know. If this wasn't a digital freaking thing, I would. I probably wouldn't even waste the effort to wipe my own ass with it. Yeah, I think you could find better things to wipe your ass with. Yeah. Yeah, this <laughs> this, probably... is, this was rough. This was rough to read. Yeah, I uh I was I I I I really I I I'm glad that we had enough material to fill this episode. I usually take very detailed notes uh, cuz I take this show probably more seriously than I should, but I usually have for per issue three to four pages of notes and I have maybe half a page and this is twice as long as the kill Raven issues. So this was not, this was not good. However, uh, maybe this is a tradition where we just bag on shitty, the shitty Treehouse of horror comics. And I think maybe they might get a little better as they go, or that is just the power of denial. I don't know. Yeah. Well, either which way we won't find out till next year. <laughs> um, so if you're a big fan of these, or you think we did a great injustice, or you've read these and you know they're the suckiest suck to ever suck suck, you can uh, email us at the or, or at 
uh, comicbookdungeonpodcast dot or at gmail dot com and let us know. Uh, I have my Twitter at broken LMD, like the like Marvel Life Model Decoy LMD, and you can tell me it's good, it sucks, or you're never going to listen to the podcast because this was too bad. This was too early in our run to do a bad episode. Uh, Fuck you. Yeah, pretty much. Fuck you. Okay, <laughs> why not? It's a free country, right? We can do what we want. Yeah, we, we, we did this. We Neither of us wanted to read this, and neither one of us wanted to cover it for the show, but we suffered for you, listener. We did this for you guys and gals, okay? Just, uh, oh, God, man, it was bad. <laughs> Plus, this did not replace a regular show. We recorded this one within a few days of episode two, so we're still going to be on our normal schedule for, uh, for the next episode of Kill Raven, and this will never get spoken of until next year so yeah you're welcome yeah listeners yeah you're welcome i'm making my marriage suffer for you yeah yeah i i had i there were other things i was supposed to be doing and i did this this isn't us being defensive at all that's how you know this was a great issue <laughs> exactly anyways but yeah let us know what you want us to do maybe next year uh if it's any consolation, I actually have some great ideas for uh, Christmas issues for us to cover. I can't wait to see what we come up with next. I, I, they're they're I, actually I fun know ones. What you have loaded in that t-shirt gun full of comics that you keep spewing <laughs> at me, man. It's funny you mention a t-shirt gun because we just covered a Simpsons episode. It was a shitty episode of The Simpsons, but that's what killed Maude Flanders was she was shot with a, a fucking t-shirt gun and fell out of some stands at a racetrack oh lovely yeah lovely oh so again let us know what you thought of this episode good or bad tell your friends maybe this might not be the episode you want to read right or listen to right before you do a or review us on itunes yeah maybe not but definitely had some good banter in there and definitely some uh some some great tangential uh topics that were covered desperately covered to 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 make the episodes just grind to a halt so uh, we can you, stop talking about it you you could you could see me reaching okay <laughs> but yeah anyways uh yeah dude hey, let's go freaking get done with this and play some crucible man come on okay well i wanted to finish on a bit more of a bit of a serious note um, <laughs> go ahead port and psa here okay you know if your loved one ever comes back from the dead, because it happens, Cosmic Cube, they were f- mm-hmm. thrown free from the explosion, it was really a clone that died, LMD, whatever, Phoenix Force. Hey, it, sometimes it happens, I get it, but be careful, because usually they're just some sort of scroll. Have there a good you night. Go. Good night. Now we honor the Necronomicon. Demons do their very own special dance. In hell, we dance our own special way. Let's show them how we dance while our bodies decay. Don't we bounce like backstreet? Not without a heartbeat. Do we grab like Michael Bibbs? Bell Bibbs of all before the limit. Do we roll like tag 
teeth. Not without a bloodstream. Not Karina like that group did. No, that's just stupid. Deadites always like to get their freak on. And when we get together, we do the Necronomicon. Do the Necronomicon. Do the Necronomicon. Come on, come on and do the Necronomicon. You gotta follow the moves. <laughs> The letter is just like the time warp. What's only better? First we jump, then we sink down, then we get back up and last so all around. Then we spin, clap our hands, we take a brief moment to acknowledge the band. Son of a bitch! 